Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific Mikoroi Hawkins. Coming up. They've certainly come in uh, with a strong mandate, uh, but they do face some big economic challenges. The returned PNG Prime Minister James Marape is making some big promises despite the country's struggling economy. Also, I acknowledge the survivors who have given evidence in this inquiry, and I, uh, I acknowledge your bravery in sharing these very painful accounts. The Abuse in Care Royal Commission of Inquiry wraps up its examination of New Zealand government agencies and. Faites en sorte qu'on qu'on ait une couverture de téléphone beaucoup plus importante sur l'île, quoi. Communities in New Caledonia's Loyalty Islands to get faster internet as the territory's second submarine internet cable comes online. Papua New Guinea Prime Minister James Marape has announced plans for significant change after easily holding on to power following what was a turbulent election. He's promising change in health, education, infrastructure and agriculture. But Mr Marape will be constrained by the country's economy, which remains in dire straits. Economist Stephen House, who heads the Australian National University's Development Policy Centre, told Don Wiseman about some of these constraints and possible solutions. They've certainly come in uh, with a strong mandate, uh, but they do face some big economic challenges. I guess the underlying one is that ever since the resource boom ended it's around 2014, I mean, the PNG economy has been in a slump. And, of course, that only got worse with uh, COVID. And the underlying challenge for the government is, is what can it do to uh, get economic growth up and get employment going going fast or faster again. That's the underlying challenge. But then if you look at well, what are the tools the government has, I think there you can sort of break it down into two different challenges uh, that they're, they're facing in policy terms. One is uh, fiscal. I mean, that's not so different to the challenge, you know, a lot of OECD countries are facing that uh, they accumulate a lot of debt under COVID. They're running deficits and they need to get those deficits under control. You know, the same with PNG. In fact, PNG was running pretty high deficits even before COVID came along. And so from that point of view, again, COVID just made things worse. So I think that's one challenge you have to deal with. And then the other one is on the exchange rate. There have been a lot of problems with the exchange rate, in particular businesses complaining they just can't get their hand on foreign exchange and that's how, a real how, drag how, on growth. Yes, so how much of that is a factor of the Kina no longer being floated? Well, that's right. The two go together. Around 2014, the sort of central bank sort of grabbed hold of the Kina and stopped it floating as freely as it had been. They thought it was depreciating too quickly. And yeah, they have been supporting the Kina through basically making you wait for foreign exchange. So preventing a run on foreign exchange uh, reserves. Now, commodity prices have gone up and that, that helps PNG as a, as a nation because PNG is a commodity exporter. Its biggest export is gas. The price of gas is linked to the price of oil. So we are seeing more revenue come in. Uh, that should help the FX situation, uh, but we are still hearing those complaints from businesses about the difficulty of getting a hold of foreign exchange. So it's still an action the government needs to move on. I don't think it has to go all the way to floating uh, the Kina again. You couldn't do that. That wouldn't be practical given the demand for dollars. That would really lead to a collapse. Uh, but the central bank does need to release more foreign exchange onto the market and does need to allow a gradual depreciation of the currency. Just explain the significance of foreign exchange uh, in terms of business. I think there are two 
angles to that. One is that you know, PNG is quite an import-dependent economy. As I said, it, it's a big resource exporter. It you know, also res, uh, exports agricultural commodities. Think about coffee uh, or tuna. But it doesn't have a big manufacturing sector. So it does need to import uh, those goods. And if you can't get the foreign exchange to pay your suppliers, you're just not going to be able to uh, get those imports. And we have seen imports fall. And, you know, that might sound like a good thing, but actually that's really a, that's a drag on economic activity. It just makes it harder to do business. And then the second thing is that, you know, PNG is dependent on foreign investment. It needs foreign capital. It's traditionally sort of welcome foreign capital. But if you're thinking about investing in PNG, you know, you have to put your, your dollars in. If it looks like you may not be able to get them out again, you're not going to invest. And so making it difficult to get hold of foreign exchange has really damaged PNG's reputation uh, with, with foreign investors. And, and it's a big change in its policy. You know, really since independence, PNG really stressed what's called convertibility which is that ability to exchange keeners for dollars. But it's, it has moved away from that over the last uh, decade or really since 2014. It's a sensitive issue because it does have implications for the value of the keener. But if the government wants to uh, increase growth, it really needs to tackle this issue. One area where they clearly uh, have plans for some focus is on coffee, on palm oil and on livestock because they've set up ministries to cover those areas. Is this window dressing or is this, do you think this is a real commitment to make the most out of those sectors? I think the, the government has a genuine commitment to the agricultural sector and it makes a lot of sense given that's where most of the PNG population is. Uh, whether having the separate ministers is actually going to help with that, I think you know, remains to be seen. There's a limit to what the government can do to provide direct support. The real issues are for uh, sectors like coffee are, are ones that lie elsewhere. So uh, one big one is infrastructure, uh, having uh, better roads. The government does have a commitment uh, to improve uh, PNG's roads through the PNG Connect program, uh, but that's where the fiscal uh, challenge comes in. You know, those are expensive programs and the government wants to reduce the deficit so that will be the challenge there. And then the other issue is the exchange rate. I mean, if you really want to see coffee do well, uh, then if you uh, reduce the value of the keener, uh, that means that coffee producers are going to get more keener uh, for the same amount of coffee uh, that, that they sell. So, yeah, these are important sectors uh, for the government. I think the government is committed, but I think appointing ministers is probably more symbolic than anything else. I think the real action lies elsewhere. Well, the Marape government has talked about balancing the budget again by 2027. What are their chances of doing that? Yeah, that's right. So the government accepts that it needs to do something uh, about this deficit. It's come out with this very uh, ambitious plan. We are seeing improved revenue with the higher commodity prices, especially from the LNG uh, project. So that's encouraging on the revenue side. But on the expenditure side, that plan to fully eliminate the deficit by 2027 uh, does assume no increase in expenditure apart from adjustments for inflation. You know, all the way. In fact, it's a slight decrease uh, from this year all the way out to 2027. Yeah, I think that's that's not really realistic. That's going to be very tough for the government. You know, coming into a, a new government or at least a new term, uh, the government is going to be ambitious. They've already made uh, Marape made some very ambitious announcements in his uh, inaugural speech. Uh, I mentioned the roads project uh, on the on the side of health. He talked about um, having a, a health centre 
close by, so within an hour of every uh, village. You know, that, that will be very expensive. He wants to double uh, the number of students going through the higher education system. That'll be very expensive. So I think the real challenge for the Prime Minister and his team is how they're going to balance those commitments uh, against uh, the need for expenditure restraint. Frankly, if they don't get to a balanced budget by 2027, that's not going to be uh, the end of the world. PNG can live uh, with, with a deficit, but it does need to make progress. So it will need to keep control of expenditure, even if it's unable or, or indeed it wouldn't be wise to, to have, allow for no growth in expenditure at all. New Zealand's Ministry for Pacific Peoples has been put on the stand for the final day of the Abuse in Care Royal Commission of Inquiry Agency examinations. During the 10-day hearing, a number of agencies and their chief executives have been questioned on failures by the state to prevent and respond to abuse in state and faith-based care. Ministry for Pacific Peoples Chief Executive Laulu Mak Leawanai has acknowledged the survivors and Ainga and the painful accounts of abuse. He outlined the steps being taken to ensure no one else has to go through the same suffering again. Lydia Lewis has been covering the hearing. A warning, this story may be distressing to some listeners. Tortured and abused in care as a child. And he turns it back on again. And it goes on or whatever until you're knocked out. That's when it stops. But the pain, I'll explain the pain is the way I explain it is. It's just like being hit by a sledgehammer on your head. Survivor witness Hake Halo came to New Zealand with his parents when he was six years old. He couldn't speak English and says he felt lost at school. After his father passed away, he got into trouble and was sent to Owairaka Boys' home. Without an interpreter present, his parents signed a document. He was then admitted to Lake Alice Child and Adolescent Unit for nine months in 1975, where he received ECT as punishment. This involved electric current being delivered to his temples. RNZ did not want to ask him to recount his trauma. This is his statement presented to the Royal Commission last year. I asked him, is it going to be painful? And he said, yes, it is. So I told him, well, I don't want it. So he put me on, I was crying my eyes out at that time. I said, well, if it hurts, you know, the first time, I don't want it. But he just seemed to take no notice. And put the mouth guard in. I'll be thankful for that mouth guard, yes. Because explaining it by the feeling, without a mouth guard, uh, the person will end up biting his tongue off if it wasn't for that. As well as the pain that was so bad that the person was lying down, when they turn it on, I can feel myself actually sitting up or not all the way up or whatever. I can't remember how far, but your body is off the bed, your arms up the front, but it's, or you're straining to finger your arms, but they're holding you down. And it turn it off, that's when you fall back down, you're crying, you're crying, but because of the mouth guard, and he turns it back on again, and it goes on and, or whatever until you're knocked out. Decades on, Hakeholo is committed to ensure no other child has to endure what he had to. Torturing and abusing of children, so it won't happen again. Just for them to know then to make sure it, if it doesn't happen to their children.
On the last day of a 10-day hearing where agencies were examined as part of the inquiry, the Ministry for Pacific Peoples CEO Laulumak Laowanai was questioned on failures by the state to prevent and respond to abuse in Crown and faith-based care. Before I begin my evidence, I acknowledge the survivors who have given evidence in this inquiry and Aina. I acknowledge your bravery in sharing these very painful accounts of abuse during your time in state care. In particular, I acknowledge the many Pacific peoples affected, such as those who shared their stories in the Tulo, our Pacific voices, Tatala Ipolonga. Listening to these stories and the trauma endured by our people was similar to the pain and suffering our people endured with the Dawn Raids apology. Mr Leawanai says a groundbreaking Pacifica wellbeing strategy is set to be launched in September as part of the Ministry for Pacific Peoples bid to hold government agencies, including Oranga Tamariki, to account. He believes outcomes of agencies need to be measured to make sure this never happens again. We are trying to have these indicators established as quickly as possible so we can start the measuring. We're not going to wait on all 18 to be perfect to then start measuring. There are some indicators, I'm sure, out of outcomes that are ready for us to measure. The pertinent one for this is the abuse and state care approach and focus. While Mr Laowanai says the ministry does not have any direct role in the care system because there is no mandate or funding, his team is expected to hold agencies to account, something that should happen through the all-government Pacific wellbeing strategy, which has been approved by the Cabinet. We as a Pacific community, and that's why I phrased, I'm, whilst I'm a public servant, I'm the son of Samoa, son of the Pacific Aotearoa, New Zealand, born and raised. I'm not divorced by the pain that our people have endured and gone through. And even as public servants working within the system, we too face these issues. Sometimes people listen and sometimes people don't. And hence the reason why we've established the All of Government Pacific Wellbeing Strategy. I hear the lack of cultural intelligence and cultural values within our system. In Hake Holo's case, years of pain was birthed from his parents being asked to sign a document that they simply did not understand. Like for the people that don't understand English properly, to make sure that they understand it, what's happening to their children in the future, to make sure interpreters are there then, to explain it, that the children are going into state care and you know, things like that, before they signed the papers. Because that's what happened to me, that my parents didn't understand it. They were only told that I was going to a school, nothing else. And my, my parents just signed the paper, just because of the word going to school. And while the inquiry is not over, Survivor Hake wants adults, organisations and the government to make changes to ensure children do not have to suffer. Just the way they look after the young kids to be much better than what they did before, like what they did to myself, that's all. 
The lead counsel assisting for the Pacific Inquiry, Tanya Shaki, says Oranga Tamariki told the room earlier in the week that just 1% of its funding is allocated to Pacific providers for Pacific children in care. Mr Leawanai says he will be raising the issue with Oranga Tamariki. This week, New Caledonians move one step closer to being able to enjoy faster internet connectivity. The telecommunications company OPTNC finished placing the last landing post of its underwater internet cable in Suva on Friday. Jan Kohol reports. Gondwana Pico 2 is a $42 million project which became functional on Thursday this week. The underwater internet cable is the second for the French territory. It stretches over 1,500 kilometres from New Caledonia to Fiji, bringing faster connectivity to the eastern outer islands and the three main districts surrounding the capital of Noumea. OPTNC is one of the only internet providers in the region. Chief Executive Philippe Gervolino says the cable has multiple uses. The new project now incorporates Gondwana 2 and Pico 2 together, which was planned four years ago. The deployment of the cable started on the 16th of March in Umea with the creation of a landing site there. As a result of the cable coming online, many inhabitants of the Loyalty Islands will finally have access to high-speed internet. This is especially beneficial to the organisations such as Espace Cybercafé, an organisation that teaches young children IT skills. Janet Nawong works in an after-school care using digital and online resources for children. According to her, at the current internet speed, YouTube videos cannot even be played properly, with buffering times of up to a minute and downloading video content isn't even possible. She says her workspace will most definitely benefit from the cables, but the company hasn't explained exactly how much of an environmental impact the cables will have. It's the fact it has come through the ocean and we in fact don't have much information on the environmental effects of it. We've only heard about the advantages that it will bring, but nothing about the disadvantages. It is an advantage for the young people and we welcome it in our cyberspace, but we still don't know its effects on the environment. Gondwana 2 will go from Newville, a district in Noumea, to Suva in Fiji. The cable has eight physical landings in New Caledonia. Mr Gervolino said Pico 2 is the part of the cable used to secure domestic connections while Gondwana 2 will secure the international connections. It will pass Lifu Island and then make its way back to Numea. So Gondwana 2 will secure the international. The cable Pico 2, domestic, aims at completing the entire telecom circle around the country. The inhabitants of Lifu have been the second priority for the government, especially because the hotels on the island have had a special fibre line installed two years prior. Communications operator for the OPTNC region of the island, Sumini Mune, says this is because the government was prioritising investment in tourism. She also said some places can't even catch any signal on the island. 
Donc, quand l'OPT est venu, il nous a dit on va installer le câble. When OPT dit, bah, said oui, they were going to install merci. the cable, we said yes, it's nice, thank you, but make sure that we at least have a phone coverage on the island. When we don't have mobile coverage, we don't have internet, and that is the most problematic thing that we have right now. The domestic cable also secures the commune of Montdoré, south of the territory, which is an area that faces huge technological difficulties as it is often impacted by cyclones and other natural disasters. Altogether, there are around 300,000 people in the four communes surrounding Numea. Mr. Gervolino says having multiple submarine internet cables running through the Pacific is also practical from a disaster risk and resilience standpoint. He used the example of the devastating volcanic eruption in Tonga, which made the kingdom's underwater cable inoperable and said that their cable could be used to assist around the Pacific in times of disaster. We were the only operators in the area with the same type of cable as the Tongans. The Tongans had 100 kilometres of cable ripped apart. They looked to other countries in the region for help and they found us. The OPTNC drew from its reserve cables and they used about 55 kilometres of it to repair the damage. Mr Gervolino says the cable is also the final piece in the puzzle for connecting all three French Pacific territories. This is because the Suva hub, which the OPT are connecting to, also houses the Tui Samoa cable, which connects Wallace and Futuna, and the Manatua cable, which connects Papete and French Polynesia. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Tofa Soifor.